this morning, it is irresistible grace. So it's the eye of tulip, irresistible grace, or efficacious calling, a calling that is effective. I, I list all of those together because they do make sense when taken together. For instance, if we are totally depraved, if we can't uh, of our own choose good and choose right, um, then someone has to help us. Uh, someone has to rescue us. Um, and so the you, unconditional election, God it chooses to save a people. His atonement is limited to those people, or what we call particular redemption. And this morning, His grace is irresistible to those He calls. It is effective. So there's lots of different ways of putting it together. Uh, an effective calling, irresistible grace. And so we see this term called, calling, um, chosen. We see that all throughout the Scripture. Uh, in your notes, I have the introduction to Jude, Jude 1. Verse 1, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called... Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So think about even in that one verse how many uh, truths and doctrines are encapsulated. Uh, Jude is a servant. He does what Jesus Christ tells him to do. Um, he is sent to those who are called, those that uh, God the Holy Spirit has called to himself. Um, when we are called, we are beloved. We belong to the Father. And we are kept. That'll be the last thing we talk about, the perseverance of the saints. We are kept. We, are, we persevere because God keeps us, not because we hold on, because, we, because He holds on. So um, that idea of calling. Uh, Peter, 1 Peter 1, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So Peter is writing, Jude is writing, Paul is writing, uh, and he refers to the people of God as those who have been called, those who've had their the school bell rang, those who have been brought to him. In our Westminster Confession, chapter 10, section 1, it defines effectual calling. All those whom God hath predestinated unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by His Word and Spirit, out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. Now, if you raise children in the church, you'll find there seems to be amongst kids that come to know the faith a time when the light turns on. So I remember my oldest son, Jordan. I mean, I preach the gospel to that kid all the time. Morning, noon, evening, uh, every time I disciplined him, I explained it all different kind of ways. We watched movies, we watched cartoons, and I would explain to him the gospel. Um, it clicked on him when someone else explained it to him. <laughs> and he came back from an RUF uh, campus minister who was, who was doing some teaching at a, at a boys' camp, and he's like, he explained to me the gospel. And my first thing I wanted to say was, I've explained to you the gospel. But it was the light came on. It made sense to him. 
all of a sudden those pieces, you know, in teaching they call it the aha moment. So the effectual calling brings that about. It's a spiritual thing that is happening kind of behind the scenes. Um, so it says, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, to understand it makes sense to them, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills by His almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so, as they come most freely, being made willing by His grace. Uh, in that term, I, I want to make sure that we understand the, the idea of irresistible. And we'll talk about that when we, when we get to the end. Uh, that The word call can mean certain things. But when we say irresistible call, it means that when God says something, it happens. When God says, let there be light there was light. God said, let there be sun, moon, stars. Let there be an expanse in the sky. There was. And so the idea that, that God's grace is irresistible uh, gives us a bigger picture of His grace. Um, we talk about it in human terms like, you're in my good graces. But usually we say that, if you're in my good graces, it means you've done something to earn my good graces. It, it, it means that uh, you've proved yourself to me. And um, so maybe the word grace isn't even the right one to use, but, but God's grace being this uh, love in Christ before you were created, before you had ever chosen Him, saying, I'm going to choose to not count your sins against you, but to count Christ's righteousness to you. And when the time comes, I'm going to turn that light on. What I love about this is the freedom it gives in both uh, evangelism the freedom it gives in parenting and discipleship and being a pastor. I don't sit at home at night and think, uh, this illustration is going to make a lost person understand Christ. If I do this right, if I teach this right, if I'm just nice enough, if our church is friendly enough, we're going to do everything in our power and we're going to turn someone around. No, uh, I preach the truth and I trust that when the time is right, that the light will come on and that God the Holy Spirit will do that. And he does it differently in different times and different people. I know Christians that have turned their life over to Christ. I had a guy come to Christ, he was like 68, and he'd been an elder in another denomination for years. And he came up one Sunday and goes, I've, I've never really understood it. It made sense today. And he looked back, and he had had a history of just terrible things. And, and his great, you know, why didn't I come to Christ then? Why didn't, why? And I'm like, there's a reason. You know, there, there is a reason. God is glorified in this day you being saved and your ability to now go back and, and make right and correct and see and make sense of all of this. So uh, in understanding God's effectual call, it doesn't lead us to be lax, to say, oh, well, he's going to call them when he calls them. No, it, it causes us to actually be very active. We don't know that time, but we do know that he will use it. So um, his, it's irresistible because it's from him, and it's grace. And, and I like to think of irresistible as being the quality of his grace. Uh, his grace surpasses all other graces that we have known, that we have shared with one another. Um, all right, scriptural proof. Our, our big picture that we've been working out of is Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not going to read that to you, but Ephesians chapter 2, remember, ties all of it into 
together. Um, 1 Corinthians 1. Let's look at this. Uh, and again, you think about how many of these texts that, I, that I'm going to go to, it's early in the text. It's identifying people. It's reminding them of who they are. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-31. The Apostle Paul, facing a church that's divided, says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Remember you were called, brothers. Not many of you were wise, not many were powerful, not many were noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose... Get the emphasis there? God chose what is low and despised, even things that are not, to bring nothing, things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the Apostle Paul referring to all Christians as those called those chosen. So as we think about the irresistible nature of it, in your notes I have creation ex nihilo. Creation out of nothing. That's the first that we read about God calling. It's the first thing in the the book of Genesis. Everything into existence exists because of God's irresistible calling. He irresistibly told out of nothing something to be created. That's what we read about in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Our gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. What's he saying? He's saying there there are those that don't get it. I preach one sermon and and someone gets it and someone doesn't get it. And and he is is writing there that that you, you might think, why don't they get it? Am I wrong because they don't get it? Or why did I get it? Should I be proud that I thought through this, that I was able to understand it? Uh, he says, our gospel's veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of the world's blinded the minds to keep him from seeing the light of the gospel, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus is Lord with ourselves. For God who said, in verse 6, let light shine out of darkness. So the apostle is connecting it, saying the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Apostle saying that that same power of God speaking things into existence, that same power shine the light of the gospel into our hearts. Um, See, it's it's similar to new birth. So creation didn't decide to be created. Creation didn't decide, uh, do I want to have water and land? Plants didn't decide, do we want to grow and flourish and produce seeds? And children don't decide to be born. So uh, this idea of new birth, uh, again, it's an illustration of God's power in in creating and calling people to himself. So in John 3... Jesus answered, I say to you, this is him speaking to Nicodemus, one who is born again, uh, unless one is born again, 
He can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time and be born? Jesus answered, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which born of the flesh is flesh. That which born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus talking to Nicodemus, saying the Spirit of God goes where it wills. As the wind blows things around and we don't control it, we don't know where it's going, we have no control over the Spirit and who the Spirit will call to Himself. It's like resurrection. So in, in uh, John 11, the story of Lazarus. Can you imagine having conversations with Lazarus? I mean... It's all conjecture, but can you imagine having this conversation with him after he was raised from the dead? You think he was laying there in the dead, fighting to be resurrected? No. What do we read about? Um, Jesus says to her, If you believe, you'd see the glory of God. So he took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said this, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. God's irresistible call, his effectual call, again, similar to his voice telling Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus has no choice at that point. All the power of God envelops him, breathes life back into him. Um, So again, these are different ways of looking at what it means for God's call to be irresistible and God's call to be effective. Uh, It answers a lot of the previous objections that people have about God predestinating, predestinating people, God electing people, because nowhere in Scripture do you have a picture of fallen human beings crying out, God save me, Lord have mercy on me. Whenever that comes out of the mouth and the heart of a person, scriptures tell us that 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 has come out because the Spirit of God has entered in them and has said, it's time. This is real. The work of Christ is real. It can be on your account. Like it says, a stone heart is turning into flesh. Something impliable becomes living and moving and breathing. And so that's, that's what the um, irresistible grace means, that, that once it comes upon you, the next thing that you do is repent of your sins and believe. Conversion follows that effective call just, just immediately. Uh, James 1, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. <clears throat> Any questions thus far on any of these texts? Madison, are you getting all of it? She is. Good. <laughs> uh, third, the Trinity's cooperation. I love what Doug Wilson says. Repentance is not the coin we put in the vending machine of salvation to get our product. <laughs> Repentance is part of the gift. You've heard me say it so many times in the last five years. When I told Luke to tell his brother he was sorry, and he said, I'm not sorry. And I said, okay, don't tell him you're sorry then. I don't, I don't want it to be something mechanical. And I looked at him and I said, I wish you were sorry. 
I, I, you should be sorry, and you're not. Um, and here's why you should be sorry, but I'm not going to force it. I can't make it, and I don't want you to fake it. Uh, repentance is not something that we bring to the table. I like the way he said, like a vending machine that we put in our two cents and we receive the gift of salvation. The Trinity is involved in the effectual calling. So the Father's work in 1 Peter, to those elect exiles in the dispersion, uh, all the different places they come from, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of His blood. So all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are, are entered into this. The Father, in a sense, elects. The Son does the work, and then the Spirit opens us to receive it, to understand it. Acts 13, the Gentiles heard this. They began rejoicing and glorifying. This is when they heard the gospel. Glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So you get in Acts constantly as the church is growing and as people are being added constantly every time that happens there is this draw back to the glory of God it happened because they were appointed to eternal life it happened not because Paul was a great preacher not because Peter was a great preacher not because they did miracles it happened ultimately because God himself opened their hearts in Acts 11 when they heard these things they fell silent and they glorified God saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life in Acts 16, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Word of God, the, the Lord God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So in all of this work of church planning and church growth that you see in Acts, God is the one that receives the glory for it. God the Father appoints. It's as if He had a certain number and He gave it to the Son. It says, you're going down to save these people. These are mine. And so when uh, Scott uh, taught about limited atonement, that makes sense, doesn't it? God the Father, Son, you're going to save my chosen people. Your atonement will be effective for my chosen people people. Your atonement, it could be enough for the world, but it is, uh, it, is, it is specifically for these people. Not one drop of his blood is wasted. Um, the Son, in John 6, this is what he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Not all the Father gives to me, boy, I sure hope they'll come to me. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and I'm just hoping and I'm just, oh man, Hey, church, will you make me really, you know, will you make it so that people want me? No. I mean, I just love it. He's like, the ones that the Father has given, um, they will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. Now, again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but that verse 39, it, like I say, it's, it's all connected. This is God's plan of salvation. I will lose none. 
Again, it makes sense. If the sovereign God is saying, I've sent you down, you're going to do this, my call to them is going to be effective, and by the way, all of those who you rescue, not a one of them will be lost. Um, I've shared to you, in each of my three natural-born kids' lives, there have been moments where I thought they were lost. I would go to the Father, and I would say, I know, God, it is not up to me doing what is right, and I'm so glad of it, (laughs) because I've done a lot that's wrong. Uh, I entrust them into your care. I believe um, that you will uh, persevere, that they will stay, but Lord, they're in your hands. Um, uh, So the Son will not fail in his job. The Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, the Holy Spirit has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not a covenant of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Not our obedience, not our unction, not our disciplines. The Spirit gives life. Titus 3, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The washing and regeneration. Regeneration, bringing something dead to life. Bringing Lazarus, regenerating him. Taking a stone heart and making it flesh. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This isn't in your handout, but Romans 8. uh, You might just want to jot it down. Romans 8, 14 to 16. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, one of the most meaningful verses in the whole New Testament for me. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit has this job in the life of believers, and that job is to say, Hey, Mark, you belong to God the Father. Hey, Mark, you're his son. Hey, Mark, this failure is not getting you kicked out of the family. Hey, Mark, this weakness is not getting you kicked out of the family. Hey, Mark, this ongoing temptation that you succumb to is not getting you kicked. You belong to God the Father. He has done enough to secure for you salvation for eternity. The Spirit's job. God calls us the Spirit, regenerates. Um, So some of the logical objections that we get have to do really around these general calls and culpability. All right, so anybody seen the most recent AT&T commercial um, where the little kid gets a lollipop? Travis shook his head and it bothered him as much as it did me, didn't it, Travis? (laughs) Ah, so there's a family in there and they're touting this, you know, at AT AT&T, new customers and existing customers get the same great deal. Uh, it's so funny, Luke broke his phone the other day, and he goes, yeah, I realize that that's just not true. <laughs> it's like, I go to this place, if I'm a new customer. Anyway, I said, wait, you haven't seen a lollipop commercial? He goes, yeah, why does that annoy me? I said, here's why it annoys you. Little girl gets a lollipop. It's a nice little green one. It's like the Regions Bank lollipops we used to get, you know, just a small one. And um, she's happy with that lollipop until her brother gets a big lollipop. And immediately, this spirit of, uh, really, it's a spirit of envy, takes away her gratitude, and she looks at the lady, and she's like, that's not fair. And the lady's like, you're right, honey. So she, instead of taking away the nice lollipop, 
<laughs> and giving her brother the smaller one? No, no, no. Of course, that, that, you know, that wouldn't be fair either. Uh, she takes away the nice one and gives it to him, and then everyone's happy, and then the dad wants a lollipop. We have this sense in us of fairness, which really just, just means um, everything is done the same. And uh, we have to. We always have to fight against that when we think about God's grace. God's grace is not fair. It's just, it's not fair. It's gracious. We don't receive what we deserve. We don't receive the same thing everybody else receives. God's grace is, it it is unfair. It is abounding in goodness. It is unexpected, unearned, and given to us. But the scriptures have, they use the word call quite a bit. And so in your notes, I think I have three different ways it's used. Um, in Matthew one twenty five, sometimes they call is just meant naming. So Matthew one twenty five, they called his name Jesus. Um, that that's that's simple a simple meaning definition of that word. Um, this belongs this name belongs to this person. Uh, second, there is a call as an invitation that can be declined. All right, so we call that a general call in theology. All right, so on a Sunday morning, often, um, and I would say you can notice this about me, if there's people that are new, (laughs) that I haven't noticed, they're guests, maybe family members, it's one of those Sundays where relatives come in, I'll do a general call. That general call to me is turn from your sins and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. It's a general call because I know that if anybody does that, that there's actually an effectual call going on in their heart. The God who organizes all of history may for that day have brought them to sit in these chairs for that reason. It might be the day of their salvation. So I do a general call, and I feel free doing a general call. I feel free absolutely saying if anyone here turns from their sins and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, turns from their own self-righteousness, puts their, if anyone does that, then you're welcome. You're born again. Right? That's, that's a general call. It does not fly in the face of an effectual call. It actually is done hoping that those two things are met. What do we read about in all of the callings, right? The Spirit opened them up to understand. The Spirit of God opened them up to understand. They understood because while Paul was preaching, while Peter was preaching, the Spirit of God opened the hearts of these and not these. And as many as were called, they received, they heard, they believed, they were baptized. So those two calls, so the general call is an invitation that can be declined. And that's what you get in Matthew 22. Many are called, right, general call, many are called, but few are chosen. Then what we've been talking about is this third definition, the effectual call, the irresistible call. Uh, think of it as an effective summons. And again, I always talk about parenting. But there are some times I would call the kids, and they would think it was optional. <laughs> Come downstairs. But Dad, I'm doing this. Hey, by the way, I didn't ask you for reasons to disobey. I know there's plenty of them. Come downstairs. <laughs> right? uh, but it's even more than that. The, the effectual call is a, a, a summons, a drawing that just can't be denied. Um, it is, 
again, as we tied back to rebirth, birth, um, creation, it, it happens. We'll, we'll talk about this in Romans, but when Paul introduces himself in the letter to the Christians in Rome, he says, a servant of Christ called to be an apostle. When we look at uh, Timothy this morning, called to be an apostle. Um, there is this sense that it is ir- irresistible, irreversible, and it, it is done. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. Romans 8, those he predestined, he called. And those who he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Um, and so what does that mean for us in, in conclusion? Uh, it, it means we fulfill the Great Commission. We go out into all the world, and there's excitement, as there were in the book of Acts, when, when the gospel comes and people receive it. And there's fruit of that. There's repentance, and there's worship. So um, we don't revert to a hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinism, the primitive Baptists had this hyper-Calvinism that, that since God was sovereign, we didn't even have to share the gospel. Um, it was, it's such a weird, if you ever read any of the ancient stuff on that, I finished a book recently on a guy that was a church planner in Appalachia, and these uh, hyper-Calvinists, uh, they would kill somebody and say, well, that was God's will, so we're okay. <laughs> um, Presbyterians tend to be less evangelical. We tend to be less apt to sharing the faith, sharing the gospel, and I think some of it is we don't like... We don't like being uncomfortable. <laughs> we understand the gospel's offensive. If I tell somebody you need to be saved, I'm assuming then that they're sinful and they deserve hell. Right? And that's, that's an offensive thing. You're not good enough on your own. You're not going to save yourself on your own. Um, but I think sometimes it's also we rest upon God's going to call those who's going to call, so it's not quite as important. And actually, the scriptures never push it that way. What do the apostles do? They face death. They travel. They go, they go, they go because they don't know who the Lord has called. And they don't understand that maybe, maybe He has used them, uh, and at that moment, their hearts are open. And, John, and the great, uh, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, John 17, He lifted up His eyes to heaven, and He said, The hours come, glorify Your Son, the Son may glorify You. Since You've given Him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know You. The only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the effectual call. Thank you, Lord, that we can't undo what you intend to do. That you are powerful. And in our own lives as individuals and as a church, there's no greater way for you to demonstrate your power than the calling of lost sinners to yourself. We love it when it happens, Father. We love seeing lives changed before us. We love seeing you glorified and claiming those that Christ has died for yourself and allowing us as a church to take part in that. Will you help us, Father, to apply these things deeply to ourselves and to others? We wouldn't boast, but we would worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.